Greetings, Northlings, and welcome to Haunted Up North. It's a podcast about the paranormal. It is what it is. I'm not gonna lie. I'm your host, Victoria, and I really hope you find yourselves scintillated, scared, and most importantly, entertained by the spectral tales I'm about to tell you today. This episode, we're heading to the West Midlands, to the medieval town of Shrewsby. <laughs> Shrewsby. Shrewsbury. <laughs> oh, I can't say Shrewsbury. <laughs> Shrewsbury. To the medieval town of Shrewsbury in Shropshire. And I like the name Shrewsbury. It reminds me of both shrews and berries, which I like in equal measure. I also like the name Shropshire because it sounds like a place a posh headmistress might say they're from. Shropshire. I'm from Shropshire. Just inherited the family home in Shropshire. Yeah. And the reason we're going to Shrewsbury today is because I had a very nice message from a lady called Helen who said, this is what she said, she said, just found your podcast and I'm loving it. You sound like a good friend of mine from Pontefract, so I'm simultaneously terrified and soothed whilst listening to it. Which is a very nice thing of her to say. So, in appreciation of this very nice thing to say, I promised Helen an episode dedicated to her hometown of Shrewsbury. Sir Helen, thank you so very much for your lovely feedback. I hope you enjoy it, and that you find the ghosts we talk about to be real good ones. However, do contact me if I've missed any out, and let us know about any doorstep paranormal experiences you may have had yourself in the medieval town of Shrewsbury. I made a bit of a faux pas when I was talking to Helen about the north of Britain versus the south of Britain, and I think I may have referred to Shrewsbury as being in the South English territories, which to me it will obviously seem, because it's further south from where I live in Yorkshire, but as we've discussed on Haunted Up North before, it's all a matter of perspective, man, as to whether you consider yourself northern or southern. And when I looked at the map, Shrewsbury's actually closer to me than it is to London, so I don't know. And the reason I don't know is because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So apologies, Helen. It was, it, it was ignorant of me. And I shall give myself a ruddy good talking to about it later. But right here, right now, we're going to talk about the ghosts of Shrewsbury in Shropshire, which is where all posh head mistresses are from. Please do stick around, listeners, at the end of the show, because we've got some EVPs to not, not show you but present to you via the medium of sound. EVP, of course, stands for Even Vampires Poo. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> it stands for Electronic Voice Phenomena, which are sounds found on electronic recordings that could be interpreted as ghost voices. And we have a couple of those from Chillingham Castle in Northumberland, a reportedly haunted location we talked about a few episodes ago, kindly donated by photographer Phil Horry. You'll know him from previous mentions as Frogman Photos on Instagram, and we've got a very compelling recording or two from Helen King, another Helen, the original Helen, from last episode about York's haunted pubs, who provided some amazing doorstep ghost stories, and she sent me a video taken in the bedroom of her old haunted house, which is now a pub, I think, so if you'd like to listen to those, please stay behind after class and we'll talk a little bit more about those. 
Now then, Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury is a market town and the county town of Shropshire in England. It's on the River Severn. It's about 150 miles northwest of London and nine miles east of the Welsh border, so it serves as the commercial centre for Shropshire and Mid Wales. It was also oh, I don't know how to pronounce this. It was oh, it was also the early capital of the Kingdom of Powys, which was a Welsh minor kingdom that emerged during the Middle Ages following the end of Roman rule in Britain. So, as you can imagine, Shrewsbury has been the site of numerous conflicts between the English and the Welsh. It's got a very old town centre with a largely unspoilt medieval street plan and over 660 listed buildings. It's got a castle called Shrewsbury Castle, which is a red sandstone fortification originating from around 1070. It's got an abbey, Shrewsbury Abbey which was founded in 1083 as a Benedictine, or Benedictine, how do you say it? Benedictine, Benedictine, maybe Benedictine, Benedictine, that sounds better, a Benedictine monastery. (laughs) It's got its own version of the Close or Snickleway, and if you've listened to Hun number 15 about York's haunted pubs, you'll already know what the heck I'm on about. But what I mean when I say closes or snickleways, I'm referring to those old little narrow passages you get between buildings in cities like Edinburgh or York. Edinburgh call theirs closes and York call theirs snickleways, but Shrewsbury has another name for theirs, which is shuts. S-H-U-T-S a word that derives from the movement of shooting through from one street to another. That's cool, isn't it? Speaking of streets, the streets, as I mentioned, are so old that their names have remained unchanged for centuries, and my good friend Wikipedia has provided me with some delightful examples of this, such as Dog Pole, Gullet Passage, Bear Steps, Bellstone, and my personal favourite, Grope Lane. I love a good suggestive street name. (laughs) There's a place near me, it's not a street actually, it's an area of old quarry I think. I can't remember exactly where it is, I think it might be in Oxen Hope, which is a village very near where I live in Howarth, but I saw it on a map once. I think it might have been an old map, but it's called Deep Arse. Deep Arse. I'm going to ask Martin exactly where it is, because he was the one who found it and showed me, but that must be a name from centuries past. It's very funny anyway. I wonder I wonder lots of things about that name and how it came about. Perhaps it's something to do with the deepness of the quarry, but I'm not sure about the arse bit, though. Arse. But yeah, <laughs> very old streets in Shrewsbury. There's also a library in Shrewsbury. A riverside park called The Quarry. I don't think it's called Deep Pass, though. It should be. A museum, an art gallery. The largest free-standing Doric column in the world called Lord Hill's Column. Some really awesome-looking bridges. A railway station, so you can visit by rail. Churches, pubs, restaurants, shops, and another interesting attraction concerning Shrewsbury is that it was the birthplace of Charles Darwin and was his home for 27 years. 
It was also the birthplace of the great war poet Wilfred Owen. And another interesting attraction fact that I like is that Shrewsbury was used as a setting for 1984's adaptation of A Christmas Carol, starring George C. Scott as Ebenezer Scrooge, and the gravestone prop for Scrooge's grave is still present in the graveyard of St. Chad's Church. Chad. That sounds so American though, doesn't it? Hey Chad, nice steeple. Really dig the way you've erected those religious gargoyles. That isn't American at all, that's something else. Sorry. I don't know what happens sometimes. If you can't get... Sorry, sorry about that, Americans. Don't listen. Just pretend that didn't happen. But if you can't get over to Shrewsbury to have a look for yourself, take a virtual tour on Street View or watch one of those videos online where people take you on a trip for free. Hey go do some interactive live streams of Shrewsbury if you want to book yourself on an upcoming tour. One of their virtual guides will take you on an online tour for free. You can tip your guide should you wish to, but I've only been on a couple of Hago tours and I really enjoyed them. Get yourself signed up and see what else is on there as well. They conduct tours from literally all over the world and you can comment and chat to people as it's happening and it's a really lovely way to see the world, if I'm honest, Uh, especially if you're unable to physically travel for whatever reason. My point is, Shrewsbury does look very nice even though I've never been there myself. I'll either go on a Hago tour or visit it IRL. Probably both, because I'm just so totally wild that way. My friend Hannah, who's been on this show before, recently went to a Tai Chi camp in Shrewsbury and she had a great time. So from the horse's mouth, from Hannah's mouth, from the Hannah's mouth, two enthusiastic thumbs up for Shrewsbury. Deal with it. Deal with this as well. There's ghosts in Shrewsbury. All right. That all right with you? Well, it better be, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you about them now. So stick it up your haunted house hole. (laughs) So we have a long list of haunted locations contained within the boundaries of Shrewsbury, which isn't surprising because it's very, very old. Old. It's very, very old. We have quite a considerable amount of haunted pubs, a haunted castle, haunted streets, a haunted prison, a haunted church, and more. So gosh, what a lot to get through. Because we talked about pubs last time, I'll start with some haunted pubs of Shrewsbury and move on to the rest after that. By the way, I had a message from Time Mouth Therapies last week who told me that her acupuncturist had an experience in one of the pubs I mentioned in the last Haunted Up North episode, entitled York's Haunted Pubs. The pub in question was the Golden Fleece, and if you'd like to know more about the ghosts that lie therein of this particular haunted York pub, go listen to episode number 15 and I'll tell you all you need to know about that in there. But in this particular pub, Time Mouth Therapy's acupuncturist and their dad, who is also an acupuncturist, said they had a feeling something strange was about to happen, and then, literally a split second later, an empty glass moved at high speed across the table they were sitting at and smashed against a wall. (coughs) Scary stuff. Listen, golden fleece ghost, if you want another drink getting, all you have to do is ask. Thank you, Time Out Therapies. I appreciate you sending that in. But back to the scary stuff inside the haunted pubs of Shrewsbury. The next head... uh, This is me talking about the ghost now. We've officially started, so good luck. The next head 
a grade two listed 16th century timber framed building on a street called Wildcop, another unique Shrewsbury street name, has a very odd story attached to it involving a ghoulish painting that's hidden away in a cupboard inside a top floor bedroom. Huh? No one actually knows what this painting is of. You can look at it online and I'll obviously share it, but it's weirdly painted on the back of the cupboard door. So it's not in a frame or anything like that. It's on the back of the actual built-in cupboard door and it's of a half-naked middle-aged to elderly man. Uh, (laughs) An elderly, naked, middle-aged man with white hair and a beard holding a trident, which is a three-pronged spear for anyone who doesn't know. And it's the presence of this trident which causes some to believe it's a portrait of Poseidon, otherwise known as Neptune, who in Greek mythology is a god of the sea who liked to hold a trident to symbolise his power over the oceans. However, some believe it's not a picture of Poseidon at all, and that it's an image of the devil himself. Big drama. This painting, though the identity of the artist who painted it is completely unknown, is said to hold a tragic curse and it's believed that whoever sets eyes on it will meet an untimely death within the space of a year. How very Candyman of it. Could it be any more the ring? As many as three people have taken their own lives inside this room, and it is said that their ghosts still haunt the Nags Head pub to this very day. The first is reported to be the apparition of a coachman who was found one morning hanging from a beam by the neck, despite having gone to bed in seemingly good spirits the night before. The second suicide said to have happened here was that of a newlywed bride who threw herself from the second story window on the night of her wedding and perished upon the pavement below. The third death associated with the cursed cupboard door painting was of a young man returning home from the trenches of World War I who shot himself with his own weapon. The sorrowful spirits of all three are said to be responsible for a range of paranormal activity observed inside the nag's head, such as jukeboxes switching on in the middle of the night, furniture being shifted around by someone unseen, the sound of heavy breathing and barrels moving about in the cellar, and a phantom man in a long cloak has also been seen appearing through a wall while regular poltergeist activity is observed in the form of loud nocturnal bangings. The hole in the wall at one shop latch is a pub that's constructed from two old drinking dens, one named the Hole in the Wall and one called Mardle Vaults, otherwise known as Blood Tub. During renovations, the remains of a 13th century manor house known as Shute's Place were uncovered, and legend has it that the building's cellars were once used as a 17th century debtor's prison. This property is said to be haunted by a ghost referred to by the name of Lady Sarah, who some believe is the daughter of a 14th century family who once lived inside Shute's Place and died under tragic circumstances. Her phantom is described as appearing in the form of a young woman who walks across the floors and through the corridors of the hole in the wall, smiling as she goes. Another set of resident Shrewsbury spirits belong to the Prince Rupert on Butcher Row. Butcher Row, where ye be butchered if ye dares to walk the moonlit Shrewsbury streets alone. Oh dear, I don't know where that came from. I ruined it anyway. 
Dating back from 1150, or so it says on morrisleisure.co.uk, the Prince Rupert Hotel was once home to the grandson of King James I, otherwise known as King James VI of Scotland, and it's rumoured to have not just one, not just three, but several ghostly entities. One of these entities is said to be that of a jilted bride who hung herself on her wedding day, who is believed to haunt the Prince Philip suite, with staff and guests both having been subjected over the years upon entering the room to the sight of a woman hanging from the ceiling before she suddenly vanishes. Room number seven is linked to the spectre of a young man who ended his own life when his lover left him for another man. His ghost has been spotted standing by the window, his face wearing an expression of intense sadness and distress, after which his figure also abruptly fades away. A phantom maid named Martha is regularly witnessed going about her daily chores and is most often seen in the Prince Rupert suite, making the bed and fluffing the pillows, then disappearing with a startled expression when she becomes aware of someone watching her. And during the filming of 1984's A Christmas Carol, a director who was staying at the Prince Rupert while production was taking place was left astounded when he saw the figure of another young man abruptly appear, look around the room, then disappear into a wall. There's actually another story I read which could be a different tale, or perhaps another version of this Christmas Carol encounter, but sabrina.co.uk says that it was a producer of said film who had a run-in with this ghost, but they described the figure as a very old man holding a candle who he passed by as he was walking to his room, and when he noticed that the candle was casting no shadow on the nearby walls, he fled and spent the rest of the night holed up in the bar downstairs. Which story is the most accurate, I do not know, but either one is obviously rather frightening to hear, or, in my case, read. Okay, so the spooky shrubs- no! <laughs> the spooky sh- uh, hang on. The spoo- the spooky pubs of Shrewsbury, even. We've done those. But if anyone does have any pictures of spooky shrubs in Shrewsbury, do send them in, I'd love to look at them. So the spooky sh- <laughs> flipping- the- Spooky pubs of Shrewsbury. Done. We've done those. So how about next we do a spooky Shrewsbury prison? I'm not going to wait for an answer, I'm just going to do it. Stick it up, you haunted health hole. The HM Prison Shrewsbury, which is an ex-category B slash C men's prison, was decommissioned, <laughs> don't know why it took so long to say, was decommissioned in 2013, with the present prison building dating back to 1877, though there has been a prison on the site upon which it's built since all the way back to 1793. It's situated on the Dana and I like the word Dana, as it reminds me of my two favourite female fictional characters, Dana Scully from The X-Files and Dana Barrett from Ghostbusters. Although it could be pronounced Dana, for all I know. I couldn't find online which pronunciation was the real one. Let me know, people of Shrewsbury, how Dana or Dana is pronounced. But anyway. The Victorian prison that you can still see today of HM Prison Shrewsbury, and it's open to the public if you want to look round. 
The Victorian prison you see today is built on top of the original Georgian prison, the remains of which are still accessible underneath the current construction. Between 1902 and 1961, seven people were executed by hanging within the walls of Shrewsbury Prison for the crime of murder. That's how an American gangster might pronounce the word murder. Although I possibly shouldn't joke about murder. Any murder, whether it's a murder or a murder. But regardless, there are, by some accounts, many accounts, a range of scary things going on in that there prison. Unexplained bangs, cell doors crashing, and disembodied wailings have been reported throughout the years. The sight of someone looking out from inside the window where the hangings once took place is a frequent experience of those who happen to look up at this particular area of the prison. But one of its most famous spectres is the Shadow Man, who lurks about A-Wing and is presumed to be an ex-officer. In July of this year, 2022, two well-known TikTokers named Dan Sprague and Adam Oakley reported experiencing what they described as some unmistakably otherworldly feedback during a paranormal investigation of Shrewsbury Prison. A spokesperson for this Shropshire tourist attraction said, according to the Shropshire Star, At first, some faint knocks were heard, but when asking the direct question, what cell number are you? The entity replied that they were in cell number six, followed by the statement, Do not. I presume this was on an EVP recording or through a spirit box or something. The prison also has what they describe as a paranormal supervisor who had been shocked and delighted to have witnessed the most haunted cell in Sea Wing's door slam open and close three times, and then stop suddenly. He's also reported sightings of a shadowy figure in the same wing, whom he believes to be the Grey Lady Phantom who's been spotted walking the landings from cell 203. If you visit the Shrewsbury Prison website, www.shrewsburyprison.com, you can contact them about attending an organised paranormal investigation because they conduct those quite regularly, it seems. So if you fancy a look around the eerie innards of this prison at night, I suggest you head on over there to learn all about how to do this. HM Prison Shrewsbury is very close to Shrewsbury train station, which is also Victorian in origin, having been built in 1848. In 1877, the roof of Shrewsbury train station collapsed over Platform 3, fatally crushing a local councillor as he sat inside his carriage, and his shadowy figure is rumoured to haunt the ramp entrance to Castle Street from this platform. Shall we do a castle next? Seeing as I just mentioned Castle Street, the street upon which Shrewsbury Castle stands. Yes! Shrewsbury Castle, as described by my mate Wikipedia, is a red sandstone castle that stands on a hill in the neck of the meander of the River Severn, on which the town originally developed. There's been a castle on this site since 1067, as ordered by William the Conqueror, and it's said to be the home of infamous spectre Bloody Jack, 
who was a 12th century serial killer who was known for murdering at least eight young women and storing their corpses inside the grounds of the castle. His real name was apparently Jack Blondell, or Blondell, a soldier stationed at Shrewsbury Castle who was awarded the role of caretaker while he was there. Not long after his arrival, however, local women began to go missing, with the culprit of these disappearances being none other than Bloody Jack, who would charm his victims, then invite them back to the castle, where he would murder them and feed their remains to the castle pigs or throw them into the waters of the Seven. According to legend, Jack was eventually apprehended after a young woman who'd become suspicious of his activities saw him dragging the corpse of her sister, Marianne, through the castle. She fled the scene, but returned a few days later to investigate the insides of Jack's private castle quarters, where she found a small wooden chest with eight sets of fingers and eight sets of toes all neatly lined up in little rows inside. After she alerted the authorities of her findings, Jack was subsequently sentenced to death, hung, drawn and quartered at the top of Pride Hill with his severed head publicly displayed on a spike along nearby Wild Cop and paraded about the town. To this day, a number of witnesses have seen the ghost of Bloody Jack wandering around the castle, pulling the kicking, screaming body of Marianne behind him as he goes while the sounds of disembodied screams can still be heard upon the air surrounding the castle grounds. Naughty man, I don't like him. It's a bit Fred West, isn't it, that? With the part about the discovery of the secret fingers and tones trophy collection. If you're under 18 and of a nervous disposition, although I, I should have warned you before I read that story, really, so sorry. And if you're under 18, I'm also sorry. But if you're both those things, you know, don't like it, don't like hearing about stuff like that, and you're not 18, then definitely don't look up any information about British serial killer Fred West. However, if you're over 18 and have an interest in true crime and you haven't heard of Fred West, then I'd recommend you... Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't exactly recommend you read about him, but he's certainly one to put a shiver up your spine anyway. He was a particularly gruesome piece of work, don't just take my word for it. That's basically what I mean. It's not a recommendation, but at the same time, go read about it if you want to. <laughs> Moving on to our final Shrewsbury haunted location. And by the way, this isn't a definitive list of every haunted place in Shrewsbury. I, I just, I only have a certain amount of time left with which to entertain you, and we still very much need to get to those EVPs from Helen and Phil. So next, perhaps to offer a bit of spiritual comfort, though I'm not sure how comforting the following story will be, why don't we try a church? Yeah? Yeah? You like churches, do you? Well, you like this one. Because it's, um, it's just, it's just whatever, it's good, it's a good one. This rather good church is, I'm not sure how you pronounce this, it's Saint, I want to say Orkman's Church, but it's spelt A-L-K-M-U-N-D. And you may find it at Six Saint Orkman's, if that's how you <laughs> pronounce it, Six Saint Orkman's Place at the highest point of Shrewsbury. Founded in 902, the structure, or 902, I never know how to say that, uh, founded then, the structure that stands today is part medieval, part Georgian in origin, with the tower and spire having been built around 1475. 
I read a thing on wanderingcarol.com that if you look up at the church, you can see the devil's claw marks climbing up said spire. And this is a quote from Wandering Carol. He quite often whips up there to see if anyone is sitting in his chair over at Stiperstones, which is a rocky hill 24 kilometres from town. Well, that's quite frightening, isn't it? That'd make a really great horror novel. But apart from being frequented by the devil himself, St. Altman's is rumoured to be haunted by the apparition of a 15th century steeplejack who fell to his death after attempting to climb the church tower for a bet. It's on this tower that a ghostly figure has been seen slowly climbing up the spire during the darkest hours of night. That was quite a short story. <laughs> I expected it to be longer. <laughs> Never mind. It's it's all it was it's good. It was all good. It was still good. A good ghost story for a real good church. A word of advice though, never think it's good, however, to go climbing church towers at night for a dare. Especially if you're drunk. It's certainly something I would never do, because I've never made a single mistake in my entire life, so I I know about these things, okay. There are many more haunted Shrewsbury, and indeed Shropshire tales, that I very sorrowfully and unfortunately had to leave out this time, but I would love it if you'd send me some of your haunted Shrewsbury tales, whether they're personal to you, or they're local tales you grew up with. I will visit Shropshire again, perhaps in a Patreon episode, so do look out for an episode on that. In the meantime, as always, please send all stories to hauntedupnorth at gmail.com for a chance for them to be read out by me on the show. To finish off this episode, I promised you some EVPs, and they're coming just this second. As mentioned, they are courtesy of Phil Horry and Helen King. Helen, you'll remember from the last episode when she submitted her excellent and scary doorstep ghost stories for me to read out about pubs she'd visited and places she'd lived. And the place that sticks out most in her memories of haunted childhood homes was a 300-year-old building in which she lived as a teenager in the town of Snaith in East Yorkshire, which is nowadays an independent pub, which means that Helen's been back to this house as a patron not a resident, where she took a couple of videos of an Oompa band. (laughs) Helen swears to me that she's not actually into Oompa music, but I'm not sure if I believe her, to be honest. And you know why? Because Oompa bands are awesome. Everybody knows that. But this Oompa band that Helen saw in what was actually her old bedroom as a kid, she took some film footage of, because she's massively into Oompa music, So she's going to record it all, isn't she? So she can watch it later when she gets home. And on this film, the music suddenly cuts out and you can hear this weird sort of hushed static that Helen can't explain the presence of. It completely drowns out the sound and it happened not just once, but twice. She's never had this happen before or since, so I'll play the two clips and you can have a listen and perhaps let Helen and I know what you think. Remember, this is a house in which she used to smell unexplained cigar and pipe smoke, saw the phantom of a girl in Victorian dress run towards her, and witnessed the brown shoe of an unidentified man step past outside the door of her bathroom. Now, prepare yourselves for a 100% pure, unadulterated oompa melody, as I play you the first clip. (laughs) 
And here's the second clip. It was actually Helen's boyfriend who took these quite unsettling videos and he took them on an iPhone XR so it would be great to not just have your feedback on what you think this phenomena might be but to hear about any other examples of this happening on anyone else's iPhone XR. If this has happened to you it could be something to do with the camera or the phone but if it hasn't then perhaps Helen really did have a ghost or ghosts on her hands that night interfering with her oompa sounds and causing naughty disturbances for a tenant they might well recognise as having cohabited with before. I'll upload Helen's videos to Instagram and Twitter. It was exceedingly lovely of her to give me permission to use them so you can get an eye load as well as an ear load of them and do email me or comment on the posts as and when they appear. If you want. I should like to play you Phil Horry's EVPs now from the depths of Chillingham Castle in Northumberland, which we did an episode on a few instalments back. Chillingham is infamously haunted by a number of ghosts and so Phil set up a microphone to see if he could capture any ghost sounds or ghosts speaking while he went off to the local pub. And guess what? We think he did. The following recordings were taken in the bedroom of the Grey apartment at Chillingham Castle. They do do accommodation, so you too could stay in this apartment if you wish to set up your own recording devices or conduct a ghost hunt for yourself. But they were taken in the great apartment and I'm going to play them to you now. So here's the sound of Phil going off to the pub. If there is anyone in this room other than myself, please speak now and make as much noise as you wish once we've gone out to the pub. And here's what he captured afterwards in the two hours that he was gone. So at first there's a strange cough. I'll play that again. then a weird electronic sounding disembodied voice. That electronic voice is really quite creepy, isn't it? I wondered whether the electronic voice could be saying something like it will obey or survive perhaps in a Scottish accent but Phil thought maybe it sounded more like you're so vain. However he then made a good point that these voices may not even be speaking English or at least not the English language that we speak today. Taking into account the age of the castle, it's almost a thousand years old after all and it, its past English will have, as in its English inhabitants, will have spoken noticeably differently to the language of now, whether they were English, Scottish or not from Britain at all. 
all those languages will have been, you know, Gaelic and I, I don't know, I don't know what all the languages of the world are, but they all will have been different, won't they? He also sent me another piece of audio from an eight-hour recording with some voices that sound somewhat parroty <laughs> in nature. We had a good laugh talking about whether it could have been the ghost of a parrot, but we opted for the notion that they were probably human in origin. And here they are for your paranormal pleasure. This clip starts off with a squeak, and then what sounds like a parrot, then another voice, and then faintly after this, another voice is detected. So here we go. I'll play it for you now. Here it is again. Is it a parrot? Is it a human? Is it a parrot and a human, or humans? Is it a parrot repeating what a human has said to it? Is it a human repeating what a parrot has said to it? Let us know your thoughts, as we should love to hear them. And I'll upload those to social media too, and you can obviously rewind and listen to them again for yourself on here. But yay, EVPs! I love them. And thank you so much, Helen and Phil, for sending them in. You can find Helen on Twitter at Helen909King, and you can find Phil Horry on Instagram as Frogman Photos, as well as at spanglefish.com slash frogmanpublishing, where he has a rather cool-looking hardback for sale entitled Where the Night Rooks Go, which is described as a photographic journal in search of ghosts, heroes, curiosities, and fabulous beasts. Sounds like my kind of book. Perhaps it's yours too, so head on over there to have a look and see. Speaking of EVPs, if you fancy listening to more things about scary EVPs, check out a Paranormal Podcast episode by Paranormal Podcast producer Reeves Cook, who I recently recorded a chat with for his show The Paratalk Podcast. You can find Reeves on Instagram as underscore paratalkpodcast underscore on Twitter as Paratalk1 with a capital P and I'll add a link to his website www.paratalkpodcast.com in the source material of this episode as I will also of Phil Horry's book link. It's entitled Simply Haunted Up North and I think it's episode number 33 I think but in this instalment we talk about childhood ghosts, time slips, haunted castles and of course EVPs. It's a great listen, if I do say so myself. Reeves is an awesome host, and I had a fab time chatting with him, as I hope to do again. And he didn't just have me on his show, he has a whole collection of special guests talking about paranormal things, so look out for further talks with Reeves on his show Paratalk, and perhaps sometime soon he'll appear on Haunted Up North as one of my guests too. Thank you again to Tynemouth Therapies for sending us that terrifying account of a hair-raising golden fleece encounter. You always come good with the ghostly stuff, so may your chimneys, as my uncle used to say, be always swept. I'll wrap this episode up with one final Shrewsbury ghost story, and it's quite a nice one to leave you all with. 
It concerns an area called Barracks Passage, which is a fairly wide cobbled street with Tudor hanging buildings, and it is said that in 1485, Henry VII barracked his soldiers here in what is now known as the Henry Tudor House on his way to claim the English crown on the way to Bosworth Field. Visitors to Barracks Passage have reported seeing men milling about and faces appearing in the windows of the buildings. Legend has it that these men are the spirits of soldiers killed at Bosworth Field, who were greeted warmly by the town of Shrewsbury before they met their ends, and so in death have returned to the last place they felt happiness before they died. Thanks Helen of Shrewsbury for contacting Haunted Up North and for giving us a great idea for an even greater episode about your fabulous hometown. Thanks also everyone for listening and for letting us inject a bit of Shrewsbury soul into your day. I hope you found these ghosts to be good ones and that you were suitably entertained by them. Long live Shrewsbury and all who haunt her and may her power forever compel you to never presume that every posh headmistress you meet is from Shropshire, because they're probably not, and I might have made that bit up. But they probably are, though. See you later. Bye! Perhaps it's something to do with the deepness of the quarry, but I'm not sure about the arse bit though.